0: Welcome to the Alliance Podcast. The Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance is the official public-private partnership for economic development in Broward County, Florida. On our podcast, we share interviews with guest speakers and other great content, keeping you in the know. Considering a relocation or expansion to Greater Fort Lauderdale? Visit us at lesstaxing.com or livewhereyouvacation.com. Now onto our program.
1: We are thrilled to have with us today the Honorable Governor Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush is the 43rd governor of the state of Florida, serving from 1999 through 2007. He was the third Republican elected to the state's highest office and the first Republican in the state's history to be re-elected. Governor Bush lives in Miami with his wife, Columba. They have three children and five grandchildren. It's my honor to welcome the 43rd governor, Jeb Bush. Thank you. You're a good man. Great to see you. Thank you, mayor. Wow. I don't remember receiving this kind of attention when I was actually governor.
0: Thank you for For, uh,
1: your good naturedness, uh, your good humor. Thank you for tolerating uh, one of our great alumni. Uh, Monica Cepero, who's who I hope is doing a great job. I'm so proud of the people that I had a privilege to work with. Uh, she invited me here. She didn't tell me she wasn't coming, but we've got a plan to deal with that later, right? Uh, a quick family, Bush family update. My my brother, uh, my much older brother, is doing pretty good. He's, he's actually uh, proving, like my dad did in, in the post-presidency, you don't have to have an opinion on everything. You don't have to interject yourself. Uh, the job is tough enough as it is to, uh, to let the people screw up in their own way, and so he's doing just that. He's staying out of, out of that, but he's become a painter uh, inspired by Winston Churchill. Uh, he actually, this is a huge shock to me, he's pretty good. Uh, he and Laura are doing well. My son George is, uh, proves that there is a genetic flaw in the uh, Bush Code, uh, he's running, he's a two-time statewide elected official running for Attorney General uh, on Tuesday in a tough fight. Say a prayer for him. He, and, and he has two of my grandkids. My son Jeb's my partner, which is a blessing. My daughter Noelle is doing fantastic. My beloved wife, we've been married 48 years, is, a, is on the top of her game. And then one quick, messi- one quick mention in the grandchild department. My oldest granddaughter is Georgia Helena Walker Bush. We call her 41 in our family. <laughs> she is a 11th grade level reader in 5th grade. This year she's decided she was going to read 50,000 pages at uh, Alexander Montessori School. Um, that joy of reading uh, is another thing I think that Bush, the Bush family loves to do. And so I'm proud of, proud of our family and everybody's doing well. I wanted to read from a book. I recommend it. It's a book by Candace Millard about Destiny of the Republic by James Garfield, our 20th president. This is what he said, there is no horizontal stratification of society in, in the country like the rocks in the earth that hold one class down below forevermore and let another come to the surface to stay there forever. Our stratification is like the ocean where every individual drop is free to move and where the sternest depths of the mighty deep, any drop may come up to glitter on the highest wave that rolls." To me, America at its best is really described by this, that it doesn't matter how you start, you can be anything you want to be if you're equipped to, be able to, to, to achieve earned success. I think that should be the aspiration for Broward County, my, home t- my hometown. In, in just south of here, the whole country should aspire to make sure that everybody born in this country or coming to this country has the chance to rise up. That to me is the essence of American exceptionalism and today I'm not sure that everybody feels like they can do that. It's deeply troubling um, that, that that's not the case. There is a pessimism in our country, so what should we do? Well, I think we need to restore dynamism in our country, not try to have it all planned out from above, Uh, but allow for the interaction of 300 million people, or in the case of Florida, 23 million people, whatever it is today, to interact amongst ourselves in a free society, to be able to innovate and to create prosperity. The essence of Florida's success, I think, is based on that notion. But more people need to be able to take advantage of that. We need to reward risk-taking. We can't plan out everything in life. There has to be winners and losers But taking risks and not not winning means that you learn something to be able to dust yourself off and go back into the game again. We need to have a a culture of building things again. You know, Port Everglades, uh, how long has it been? 55 years since when you're trying to get your dredging permit? 26. 26, close enough. I mean, come on, this is the United States of America. We ought to be able to figure out how to build a bridge, how to deepen a port. How to do the things that uh, used to be commonplace now is so complicated. Um, We have to begin to build things again and be confident and have, have a bias towards action. When the rest of the country was shut down, I was proud of the fact that in a thoughtful way, Florida reopened quicker, and a lot of people's lives and their prosperity was saved because of that. That's a bias towards action, and that definitely is part of it. But the main thing that we can do in every community in this state, and certainly here, you have a great basis to do this, is to build capacity for earned success. And the only way you can do that is to start at the earliest ages and have a dramatically transformed K-12 education system that achieves career readiness and college readiness at the end of the journey. Imagine if that was the aspiration for a community, and that all the community resources, not just the dedicated teachers, or the people in the Broward County school system, but everybody made it the highest priority. I think we could get a far better result. My belief is it starts with pre-K to three, that that could be the BHAG for any community, a big, hairy, audacious goal to make sure that every child, by the time they end third grade, are, are functionally literate, that they can be able to, in fourth grade, learn, uh, read, read to learn, rather than just learning how to read. That means our schools of education need to make sure every teacher can teach reading based on the science and the research that exists. That means we probably ought to figure out how to create apprenticeships for teachers so that people in the community have a chance to be able to gain the skills to become world-class teachers so they don't have to leave. It means we end social promotion in third grade, this insidious idea that we're just going to pass kids along and blame society to say it's not our fault. When a third of our kids are functionally illiterate and they go to fourth grade, we already know what that means. That's the pipeline for our prison system. That's the pipeline for dependency. That's the pipeline for despair. That's the pipeline for broken dreams. My personal belief is this is not a Republican or Democrat issue. This is a social justice issue, a moral issue, and, yes, an economic issue. Ending social promotion and doing everything we can to have a pre-K to three strategy Uh, If we get that right, then then young people are on the right path to be able to live, have a chance for earned success. The The second part of our education system that is important is to trust parents. For the life of me, I know this is supposed to be a controversial idea. My goodness, parents love their children with their heart and soul. We don't know every child, but a parent knows their child, and they should be informed consumers and have more power to choose where their kids go to school there's enough data now to suggest that when that happens all schools get better and parents are more engaged and if you want to make sure that everybody has a fighting chance to live the american dream that's an essential element of it and the focus on career and and college readiness needs to be much more incisive than it is today right now Gregory I don't know what percentage of the entering the the high school seniors that are going to Broward College how how many have to retake high school English and high school math. In the old days when I was looking at all this data, it was about 50 percent. Across the state that number is not, not acceptable. And career readiness, there are very few pe- kids that are they're actually capable of taking on a job that doesn't require an AA degree or AS degree or a four-year degree. But there's, now we have the data available and the technology available to inject this in our, in our K-12 system and bring in new players to make sure that college and or career readiness is the aspiration for our state. The final thing I would say <laughs> the final thing I'd say is that our workforce, uh, Florida is now changing its workforce strategy for the better and I think that's exciting. We now have the ability to do audits to make sure we know where the gaps are and we have the ability to create new coalitions around these young people to be able to give them the skills to be successful. So you're getting a sense that this should not be a siloed approach, this should be a community objective of the highest priority and everybody ought to have the right to participate. In order to do any of these big things, not just in education but across the board, we need to fix our toxic politics. I am disgusted when I watch cable TV. And I can't, I can't watch cable TV many times with my grandchildren, and somehow that's acceptable. But the toxic politics that we have today is now endangering so many people that are going to be left behind. And so let me make, give you some suggestions. First of all, the first step in this process is to recognize that politics is a mirror of us. It's a, it's a byproduct of our culture. It doesn't lead. It follows the cultural norms that have been established by how we interact with one another. So if you want a better political system, we need to treat people better. We need to be honest, show courage, be kind. <laughs> the second step is, and these are what I would call Jeb's rules, if you don't mind. You can call them, you can steal them if you like. Voters have, a, have the opportunity to change the political culture. Voters need to penalize rather than reward vulgar and toxic discourse of, act, of, of, of acts. It's, it's, trust me, I have some experience on this uh, debate stage. I have these flashbacks. You know, you're like I'm listening to people talk on a stage in front of millions of people on television, and you're going, what the heck? That guy just said that? It's, but those people were rewarded because somehow, some, some way, people now think that that is a sign of strength to be vulgar or to attack someone in an unfair way. That is not a sign of strength, that's a sign of weakness. And we need to reward the people that don't do it. The second JEBS rule is to, re, is to penalize the bullies, those that use harsh language and uh, the extremes of, in our own parties to tell them that's wrong, You're not, we're not going to accept it. Right now, you get the, the crazier stuff you say, the more you bully somebody, the more followers you get on Twitter. And your hardcore base becomes stronger, and your connection with them gets stronger, but it doesn't solve any problems. I believe we need to have a political system that's focused on solutions, and so rewarding people that stand up to the bullies in their own party should be the case. It is. It is there's a hypocrisy in politics that's really troubling. So when... Marjorie Taylor, whatever her name is, Green, says something outrageous, which is every time she speaks, no one on the Republican side speaks up. Or when Eric Solwell, like he did yesterday the day before, says something outrageous about the tragedy in Buffalo, saying that that's mainstream Republican thought that made that happen, there's total silence on the Democratic side. We have a duty to cast out the ugliness and it's up to the parties to be able to do that, that would help our political culture. My third rule is, is we, we all have an obligation to consume our information in a dramatically different way. It's so easy as a conservative to go read the Wall Street Journal editorial page each day and just feel like you know I'm, I'm nourished. Uh, all my views are validated, life is good or if you're a liberal, read the New York Times editorial page and the exact same thing happens. Uh, The challenge is that we're creating tribes, we're creating silos, where people's views on the internet, particularly social media, we validate our own thinking. It makes us more righteous about our views, but less tolerant of people that disagree with us, and they become the enemy. You know what, it might be that someone that disagrees with me might be wrong, but they're not the enemy. And how do we change that? Well, we have to get inside the head of someone who doesn't agree with you to learn how they're developing uh, their set of information. So I actually read the New York Times editorial page. I watch MSNBC, and I would encourage people on the left to go listen to Tucker Carlson. It might be good for you. I don't know, maybe not. But... <laughs> the simple fact is we have to have our views not, our views not validated but challenged so that we can grow and create a sense that, that we have differences. But when we agree, we ought to be able to pause and to solve a problem. Right now, when you, you cannot solve a problem with someone who you believe is the enemy. And the final suggestion I have is that we need to restore civility in our, in our lives and in our politics. Uh, leadership should be about humility. It should be about integrity. It should be about finding common ground. It should be about intellectual curiosity in a complex world. And it should be about civility. And I'll close with this. The most civil man in public life I ever knew was my dad, who served, uh, as you may remember, as uh, in a lot of different capacities. He never believed that people that disagreed with him was, was the enemy. And when he lost in a really tough race, I know there's some people here that uh, Fought that fight uh, alongside me uh, in 1992. It was hard on, on our family, it was hard on my dad, but the kind of guy he was should be an inspiration for all of us. So here's what he wrote and put uh, in the Oval, in the Oval Office, uh, the day that Bill Clinton became President of the United States in January of 1993. Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you will feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off your course. You'll be our president when you read this note. I wish you well, I wish your family well, your success now is our country's success. I'm rooting hard for you. Good luck, George. So, after a couple of weeks of uh, self-therapy, my dad got off, the, got off the mat and lived an incredible life uh, full of purpose and meaning, helping people in his post-presidential life. And he became close friends with Bill Bill Clinton, the guy that beat him. No one in our family uh, expected that. I had a hard time with it, uh, to be honest with you. Um, Not as good a man as my dad was. But the genuine love that they had for each other is what we need to restore, not just in politics, but in our life. This is the greatest country in the face of the earth. And the fact that you all are involved here trying to promote Broward County, to build a better Broward County, to make sure everybody is included along in the journey, is really important. And I really believe that if you continue to do that, this South Florida will continue to lead the way. Florida will continue to be the greatest state of the 50 states. And yes, we'll continue to live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. Thank you all very much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance podcast. Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media, at GFL Alliance. And for business relocations or expansions in Greater Fort Lauderdale, visit us at lesstaxing.com or livewhereyouvacation.com.